0: This will be the best summer ever, I'm positive. This week, it's the final week before summer break.
1: We'll update you on everything Council decided and ration these updates. They have to last you
0: all summer long. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 186. This NPR voice that I'm doing is actually the result of COVID-19. Oh no, it has now got me. We're recording this on Wednesday and as of noon today, I tested positive. So this is a fresh boat of COVID. I would say you can see my progression into abject horror over the next couple of weeks as the disease ravages me. But (laughs) as we mentioned in the opening, it's summer break. So this is the launch off to summer for me.
1: I guess uh, good timing in that you get a break to, uh, to rest and recover, but never good timing to get COVID. Troy, podcast
0: hosts, they're just like the rest of us. We're not superheroes, but we are super writers of bad jokes in the rapid fire segment.
1: Encouraging more women to apply for and work with engineering companies has been a long standing problem for the industry, but Stantec leadership in Edmonton have been trying their best to increase equity. Unfortunately, frank conversations are going to be required with Stantec's executive leadership after a glass window once again fell from the 29th story of Stantec Tower. The glass ceiling is a metaphor, guys.
0: You're not helping. Industry advocates are calling for a nightmare in the city of Edmonton, citing the need for after-hours venue support, building entertainment districts, and supporting the nighttime economy, as well as establishing a coordinated effort to move on King's Landing, past the wall, and plunge the realm into an internal winter.
1: The city of Edmonton has removed a plaque memorializing Frank Oliver outside the Fairmont Hotel downtown. We at Speaking Municipally wanted to confirm that the removal was not just for a temporary cleaning, so we reached out to the city and through a press secretary, they confirmed that the plaque will be reinstalled only when the funicular operates reliably on a consistent basis. So congratulations to the citizens of Edmonton on being permanently rid of it.
0: Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported, and with Pod Power, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, the Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a pod power shout out to Bookwoman, a podcast about editing, publishing and writing Indigenous stories. Three Métis librarians representing nations from across the homeland aim to inspire Indigenous peoples to share their stories in whatever form that they enjoy. Guests include Indigenous storytellers from diverse mediums like podcasting, burlesque, books, comics, social media, films, music and everything in between. You can listen and find out more at bookwomenpodcast.ca. Well, Mac, uh, we said it in the opening. It is now time for the best summer ever. Council is now on summer break. As we're recording this on Wednesday, they have recessed and have taken off. Mac, usually when people are taking off for a vacation, they finish their work before (laughs) doing so. I don't know that council quite did that this week.
1: No, and I would say that has been a little bit of the story of this term. Certainly, uh, since the start of the new year, I believe there was a report earlier uh, this spring that said that the current council is actually, you know, spending less time per meeting than previous councils. But I just don't see how that's possibly true, given the number of continuations and delays and postponements that we've seen this council term. It was fitting that this week council didn't wrap up on. Monday with their council meeting, they had a continuation that went over to today to Wednesday. And not only did they not get to the end of the agenda, booting a whole bunch of motions, you know, over to the next meeting, which we can talk about, we also got something new. And that was a challenge. Have you ever seen a, a challenge to the chair at council, Troy?
0: I think Mike Nickel thought about doing one once and then back down. So no, I've never actually seen one actually happen.
1: Well, this was really interesting, and the, the city clerk, I think, in the meeting summed it up best when she said, quote, the public has no idea what just happened. <laughs> and asked the mayor to basically give an explanation. So all of this is related to notice of motion. They were on to the the sort of end of the meeting. You know, counselors had previously given notice that they were going to make motions at the council meeting and they were starting to do that. And one of them was from counselor Joanne Wright. She had given notice on uh, back in June and said that she wanted to make a motion regarding temporary positions at the city of Edmonton. So this is an HR issue. It's about workforce. They want to understand, you know, is the city using too many temporary positions? Is that having an impact on the number of permanent employees that they have? Or, you know, is there a lot of overtime that's happening? That kind of stuff. And when she wanted to make the motion today at the meeting, she asked about making a change to it to, in addition to what she had before, ask for some metrics, some salary ranges, that's that kind of thing. And the mayor, who's the chair, of course, of the meeting said that that was a substantive change to the notice and that it was out of order. And so that she would have to give notice again in order to make this new motion. And there was a little bit of discussion about this. And then counselor Aaron Rutherford said she would challenge the chair's ruling and, it's the first time it's happened on this council certainly and uh, and the city clerk you know noted that it doesn't happen very often and had to kind of remember what their practice is for this but essentially challenges to a chair's ruling are not motions they're not debatable so they essentially just call the vote and to be really clear the vote on a challenge is do you agree with the chair's ruling or not so a yes vote is you agree with the chair a no vote is you agree with the challenger and all they need is a third of the people present to agree with the chair's ruling and then the challenge fail. So the vote was six to seven, which means more than a third of the people there thought Mayor he's ruling should stand. And so the challenge from Rutherford failed. And it was just kind of an interesting moment that, you know, the first time in this council term where we've had this sort of uh, this, this challenge to a chair's ruling and everybody kind of was learning about how to do this. And to his credit, you know, the mayor handled it like a champ, I think. And, you know, just wanted to make sure people followed the right process. And you know, I was quite happy for the the challenge to go forward and everything like that. So in the end, you know, the challenge failed and I can explain what happened
0: next. Let me just clarify, because this sounds like the most Edmonton City Council thing <laughs> to ever happen, because this was a bunch of bureaucratic snafu that seems dramatic about something that truly does not matter, because what was happening here was... Councillor Wright was trying to introduce a motion and she wanted to change slightly the motion that she was introducing. Now, of course, she could have just made an amendment to this motion. And I believe she did. And that would have done the same thing. And yet it was ruled out of order. That was challenged. There was this big fight about truly nothing, which I imagine (laughs) took up some time. And is it any wonder that city council has so many continuations?
1: No, it's no wonder. And you're right. It's exactly what happened. Not only did this not matter, but there was a better way to go about it, which is to make an amendment, put the motion on the floor and then make an amendment to it, which is what happened. I believe I could have this wrong, but I think it was Andrew Knack that proposed the amendment. So this motion to get this memo back on temporary workforce, you know, was then amended to ask for a report rather than a memo, which means it'll come back publicly and we'll all get the information about that. And then part of the amendment was to have the metrics that uh, Council Wright wanted added as a third clause. And then there was a whole, you know, uh, bureaucratic snafu about that, right? And so there was then a motion to strike that metrics part from the amendment. This is a amendment to the amendment. And, you know, eventually when they got through all of this, the final motion with memo changed to report, did pass, and it was close, 7 to 6. So that will come back October 3rd. But to get to that point seemed awfully complicated. And because they spent so much time talking about, you know, this particular motion and going through this challenge and then amendments to amendments they did not get to any of the rest of the motions that uh, they had previously given notice for. So there's probably another five or six motions that will now be kicked over to the next council meeting all the way in August. And the clerk noted that if they get laid over twice, then they can't be laid over anymore. So they have to make those motions
0: at the next council meeting. I guess I'm kind of confused. This motion, we talked about the challenges, but the motion itself was just to get a report about metrics and salary ranges and the breakdowns of part-times and full-time employees, right? Like it's an information report about HR stuff at the city, correct?
1: Yes, but because it's about HR, I think is why there was concern about this and why we ended up with a 7-6 split, which, you know, I'll note the the six on the losing side included the mayor, Councillor Cartmel, Councillor Hamilton, Councillor Paquette, Councillor Principe and Councillor Tang. So several of the um, you know old guard councillors, I guess you'd call them. And I think it's because it's about HR, right? There's a perception that asking for this information is in a way council directing the city manager about the composition of the workforce. And that's not really council's role. That's why they hire the city manager as their, you know one of their only two employees. And that's his job to figure that out. But Council Rutherford argued you know, we shouldn't be afraid of asking for this information. We should be allowed to get this information back before budget. And, you know, she argued that they have to be accountable to citizens and understanding if there is, you know, high costs because of turnover or overtime, you know, is something that council should be concerned about and that they should be able to say to citizens, we've taken a look at the organization. We know that it's being run efficiently. And, you know, enough of her colleagues agreed. This
0: brings back echoes of the police commission to me. Sure, we hire the city manager to do a job and we've given them delegated authority to do it. But if we never ask how they're doing it, how do we know if our employee is doing a good job? This seems a lot like, you know, we give the police commission an envelope of money. Are we then not allowed to ask how many full-time police officers we have? I struggle to see why information is a bad thing.
1: Yeah, in general, I think this kind of information, you know, should be available for all of us citizens to know about, right? It's our taxpayer dollars that are funding this organization and uh, and we should have some indication about how well it's working. Now, of course, then you get into the arguments of representative democracy and, and all that kind of stuff. And I think, you know, where they ended up is probably a reasonable... Place and that you know the the motion actually to strike the metrics part from the amendment came from Councillor Rutherford. She voted in favor of this motion, but didn't want to have the metrics part in there. And uh, and maybe that's where the line in the sand was drawn. Like maybe that's a bit more uh, sensitive that information, and maybe they don't need. All of that information to be public in order to be, you know, holding the organization accountable and making sure that it's being run efficiently. So we will get some information back in October uh, just before the budget deliberations really get underway. And, uh, And council may get some more information, some more detailed information back in private.
0: Well, just before the end of their break, the city council snuck in one last motion, again, uh, sort of eschewing skewing process a little bit to make a motion without customary notice to designate Councillor Paquette as deputy mayor for an upcoming visit of someone pretty important.
1: Yeah, this was a unanimous motion, so I guess everybody was on side with this, even though many of the councillors, as I mentioned, had their own motions postponed. Uh, but they they waived customary notice to allow the mayor to move that Councillor Aaron Paquette be named deputy mayor for the duration of the Pope's visit to Edmonton later this month. The mayor noted that, you know, obviously the Pope and many other important dignitaries and leaders would be here in Edmonton. And he said, I think it is very important that those folks hear a perspective from Councillor Paquette. And the mayor described him as, quote, very unique in his experience and you know, called him an indigenous leader, of course. So, you know, deputy mayor is not a hugely significant role, but it's a signal from this council to, you know, the pope and all the other dignitaries who are visiting that um, this is important to Edmonton and to Edmontonians.
0: And of course, the Pope uh, is coming to Edmonton and will be Garth Brooksing up the stadium. Sold out in minutes,
1: right? Tickets for mass with the Pope at Commonwealth Stadium. Didn't take very long for those to go.
0: Of course, the Pope is not just going to be at Commonwealth Stadium when he comes into the city. He might be looking at some of our public art. And administration said, you know, some of that art's looking a little bit shabby why don't we clean it up? And somehow manage to find $441,000 to do
1: it. Yeah, this is for the Dove of Peace. This is that big white bird statue or sculpture in Gallagher Park. It was built in 1984 for the visit, the first Pope's visit to Edmonton, actually um, Pope John Paul II's visit to Edmonton. And, you know, the city said that "Eh, it's kind of old, 1984 is a long time ago, and, uh, it's starting to show its age and it needs to be in good condition because they expect that there will be plenty of visitors and interest, um, while the Pope is here later this month. So they said the upgrade, they estimate at 441,000, as you said, and remarkably said that the cost will be covered from existing budgets nothing related to the Pope's visit. So that means that they just have $441,000 somewhere to clean up this sculpture just for the Pope's
0: visit. Sometimes I wonder when administration uh, finds money out of nowhere, because I recall back to the start of the pandemic and even this year where administration talks about, you know, we have to cut the grass every three weeks or every four weeks instead of every two weeks. And there's like a nickeling and diming of the services being offered. And yet when we need to clean up a dove statue, there's half a million dollars lying around right there. I wonder what the priority matrix is here, because when things like this happen, it's not a motion in front of council. It's not a report in front of council. It's just a media article that the city is doing something And it always feels like a bit of a bait and switch when there are these administrative actions that have some expense associated with them that have no apparent justification according to council policies. You know, when you're doing a report to the City of Edmonton Council, you have to include a GBA plus analysis, you have to include soon-to-be carbon budgeting. If it's a capital project, it has to fit in the priority matrix of which projects we're doing when. But then sometimes... There's just half a million dollars. And like, yeah, let's soap up a dove statue.
1: Yeah, it's shocking. I mean, is it that significant that the Pope is coming? Yeah, okay. I guess it's a significant thing. But to justify spending half a million dollars nearly, it's a bit of a questionable
0: use of funds, I would say. Maybe it is a justified use of funds. I'm not saying it's unjustified. I'm just saying that the justification hasn't been made.
1: Maybe. I mean, if I was on council, I might also be thinking... Well, I don't know if I really want to have to deal with every last little thing that comes up. And this is why council, of course, increased the amounts that fall within the city manager's delegated authority. And inside, in, in you know, the bylaw around um, city administration, you know, there's a few different categories that this could fall under, including, you know, emergency expenditures, maybe. And, you know, <laughs> the city manager is authorized to approve any emergency expenditure, even if it hasn't been in any previous budget, up to $2 million. So... I mean, the city manager does have enough latitude, administration has enough latitude to make decisions about this kind of funding. And they do have to report semi regularly, semi annually to council on, you know, sole source agreements and, and large, large expenditures like that. But, um, you know, so I guess it's a little bit of maybe council would like a little bit more input on some of these things, especially a high profile one like this with a, a, a Popple visit. But other times, maybe they just don't want to have to deal with that because they have enough other things to
0: deal with. And of course, on their plate, safety and security of the city, and specifically Chinatown, has been top of mind for city council. And you'll recall a couple of weeks ago, Councillor Tim Cartmel made a motion right after council agreed to freeze the police funding that uh, he wanted an additional $5 million to help support the new Healthy Street Operations Centre. Now that $5 million amount was eventually struck from the motion and the motion just read, "I want this to be funded." How much is it going to cost? Yeah. Well, we got an answer to that this week.
1: Yeah, and the answer is eighteen million dollars over the next four years.
0: I guess <laughs> Councillor Tim Carmell is happy he didn't put a number of five on it. Oh,
1: yeah. I got to say, I really thought when the the five million was struck from the motion that that would mean you know, that that was a crazy amount and we we're going to see something more more reasonable. And instead, it goes the complete opposite direction, order of magnitude larger. So $18 million over the next four years. This center would be a jointly operated facility between the city of Edmonton and the Edmonton Police Service. And a good chunk of this $18 million is for the provision of 36 additional police officers to serve as part of the multidisciplinary teams that would be coordinated by the center. And so the goal is to get it up and running by next summer. You know, there would also be some new um, firefighters and Peace officers and things like that. But, you know, the police service's business plan for this is where the biggest chunk of that cost comes from. So, this came to council to discuss this week before they go on their summer break. And they decided not to approve it, but also not to not approve it. Their decision was basically to ask the province to support this. So not a question of, is that the right amount? But more a position of, well, we just gave you this safety report early June. Uh, We answered your request for a plan. This is the next step there. And you should come to the table and give us $18 million to fund it.
0: Well, let me cosplay as Jason Kenney for just a moment. And it helps that I have COVID because I'm sure he gets COVID many a time with his uh, raucous cabinet meetings. So as Jason Kenny, I will respond to Edmonton City Council and their ask for $18 million.
1: Mr. Premier, can we have $18 million?
0: No. Wow. That was a really <laughs> productive discussion. <laughs> Pretty please, Still No. I recognize the context that we just had this safety report and that the politics of the province demanding a new safety plan, the city of Edmonton moving to establish new safety criteria, and then the province refusing to fund it, the optics of those don't look great for the UCP. But... When have the optics ever looked great for the UCP in Edmonton? Uh, that's never seemed to be a concern in the three and a half years of their terms so far. I think just back to last week, the province posted nearly a $4 billion surplus. And yet the city of Edmonton can't find $11 million to operate our existing capital funded support infrastructure for affordable housing. To say that the province is going to fund this, I think is going to be a hard no. And council is going to have to deal with the $18 million come budget.
1: Yeah. The mayor said incredibly that he thinks he has the sense the province wants to help. And he said this while also reiterating as he did when the, the budget surplus was announced that Edmonton, he says, gets the lowest per capita funding to support ending homelessness in Alberta compared with the other seven cities. And so he's been kind of making this case that, you know, Edmonton isn't getting its fair share. Here's an opportunity for, you know, the province to put some funding to right that wrong, to make it a little bit more equitable. It's interesting that he makes that argument because I don't think this operation center has you know, very much to do with ending homelessness. Certainly not if we're hiring police officers, right? Their job is not to get people into housing. So it's a bit of a questionable argument from the mayor. And like you, I don't think the province is going to, you know, willingly come and just hand over $18 million to do this.
0: One of the proposals to get people some additional shelter this summer was a proposal for a pilot of city-run homeless encampments, which would essentially just be, you know, uh, the city sanctioning and providing some support and services to existing encampments in small, uh, specific locations across the city. council initially voted against the encampments. At administration's recommendation, administration, you'll recall, then changed the recommendation to say, yeah, you should do this. And now council has voted on the proposal to run city-sanctioned encampments, and they have voted, no, we're not going to do this. Definitely not.
1: The proposal was to run three small encampments. They'd be about 20 tents each from early August until October, you know, me, being sanctioned means that the city would provide some basic amenities like some washrooms, on-site support from social services, maybe even some food or something like that. The estimated cost for this, so August to October for just 60 tenths, was $2 million dollars. And council decided that was a bit too much. Maybe not enough time to set these up quickly and take them down before winter. And maybe we should be using that money in other ways, was essentially what council decided.
0: And I can totally see council's argument right here. That number seems, on the face of it, maybe I don't understand the scope and scale of what needs to go into it, but that seems absurdly high for managing 60 tents over the summer months. It almost makes me feel like this is one of those numbers that was set up to fail, that this number was designed to be so jarring that you couldn't reasonably vote for it.
1: I certainly had that thought as well, Troy, that, uh, you know, where did this number come from? We didn't get a lot of detail about how they arrived at that number, but, you know, it's not too out of line with the other suggestions that administration brought forward. So there were some other temporary, you know, housing options that will be considered because essentially what council decided was no to the encampments, but bring us back some options on other temporary housing approaches. One of those is a tiny home village, and they estimated that setting up 60 units in a tiny home village would cost $6 million dollars. Um, another was to use workforce trailers like the kind that you see on construction sites and that one's a little better because you'd get 140 units there for six million dollars and then the one that seems like it has the most legs and probably if i had to guess is something that will happen in the future is the idea of repurposing hotels and you know the estimate there was 200 units would cost about 4.2 million dollars so there's advantages right and that there's not like a ton of empty hotels around or anything like that, and they're often in locations where you might end up getting quite a bit of opposition to you know the conversion of a hotel. But that does seem like an option that you know could, when this report comes back, be something that council goes for. But all of those are temporary solutions, right? And Crystal Kajener, who we've had on the podcast before, she's the director of the city's affordable housing and, and uh, homelessness file. You know, she said this basically reinforces that permanent housing and funding permanent housing is the best option. It's the most cost effective. That's what we should be doing.
0: Well, before we dive into summer, we have to talk about one last thing, the best summer topic to talk about. The thing that when you think about Edmonton summers, when you think about the long evenings, the warm air heritage days, this is the item that you think about. You think about snow and ice control. And Council, they made sure to talk about snow and ice control this week.
1: Oh, you know it's my favorite topic, Troy. Snow and ice control. It's the one thing Council can talk about (laughs) year-round. Seems like we're always talking about this. There was a report recently about options to improve the quality of the city's snow and ice control program how we can do better clearing of residential roads, active transportation, maybe make better use of all the equipment that we've got. And there was a range of options. And this is not the last we'll hear of it. Council will be discussing spending tens of millions more on snow and ice control when they get to the budget deliberations. But for now, they've agreed to spend $4.7 million just for the rest of 2022 to clear roads and bike lanes faster when winter inevitably comes uh, before the end of the year. And, you know, it's a modest amount is what Councillor Cartmel said. He kind of described it as, you know, a way to get some things started and make some improvements while they start to have this larger discussion about, you know, spending maybe more than $30 million more on snow control than we already do. We currently spend about, I think, $60 million or so on snow and ice control, you know, they're talking about potentially spending another $30 million on that, on top of that, which, you know, would be a, a not insignificant tax increase. That's a nearly 2.2% tax increase if council decided to go forward with that.
0: Yeah, of course, the context of this is... After last winter, I think it became clear to most Edmontonians in the city that snow clearing is not working. The city piloted clearing down to bare pavement, which led to windrows, which led to oceans and clogged drains in many neighborhoods. Bike lanes were not cleared sometimes weeks after snowfalls, despite having a 24 to 48 hour priority clearing schedule. So I think most residents of the city, no matter how they commuted, had an issue with snow clearing but i think the most interesting part about this discussion will it will be a precursor to discussion of sprawl and maybe we as a city might finally get to the point where we can address it because edmontonians are finally feeling in their snow clearing budget the effects of urban sprawl we saw in the report that you know the amount of roads that the city clears increased by nearly a quarter over the past five years and of course we talked about this that's because of the inclusion of alleys but the city's roadway budget is increasing the amount of roads that we maintain is increasing whether through annexation or additional clearing infrastructure or just regular old sprawl and the taxes are not rising with it so i hope i hope the result of this is we do clear our roads better of snow we talk about exactly how we got here And maybe, just maybe, stop doing the same thing that's causing this problem.
1: (laughs) Well, I hope you're right. Not everybody on council agrees with you. Councillor Principe, who ultimately voted in favor of the 4.7 million for this year, basically blamed it all on bike lanes (laughs) and had several questions about why clearing active pathways is, you know, zero, half a day to clear those where the average for sidewalks and ramps is nearly three days you know she said that's a huge discrepancy basically pointing the finger at bike lanes to say that we're not allocating our resources very effectively but to me the most interesting part about this is this 4.7 million is supposed to you know improve for this year the snow clearing and the service levels on active pathways and roads right and the city administration said there will be a noticeable improvement on the service levels but they also said. That this money won't do anything to improve how windrows or public spaces or other pathways are cleared. (laughs) That they need even more money to do all of those things. So some of those problems that you've just described that people experienced last year, you know, aren't even going to be addressed by this fairly modest amount that we're getting in 2022.
0: What precisely did they itemize that I am going to notice then?
1: I mean, the the thing (laughs) they explained is that it will be faster, right? That uh, clearing roads and bike lanes will just happen faster this year than it has in the past. It's not changing the snowpack amount or or any of the other, uh, you know, it's not like we're starting to clear things that we weren't clearing before. It's just that they said this money will help us do it a little bit faster.
0: Well, I have COVID, so I cannot be held responsible for this lackluster transition. That's the end of the episode. Here's an ad.
1: This episode is brought to you by Alberta Blue Cross. Alberta Blue Cross understands that running a small business is tough, and they understand that business owners in Alberta are busy. Let Alberta Blue Cross give you peace of mind with a group benefit plan. They offer health, dental, life, and disability coverage for your employees. Alberta Blue Cross group benefit plans are easy to manage anywhere, anytime, and on any device, making it easy for you and your employees. To learn more and explore your options, head to ab.bluecross.ca.
0: Well, council is now on vacation, or recess as they like to call it, until August 8th, which means so too will our podcast go on recess for the summer.
1: With no election this year, Troy, I think we've earned a a small summer break.
0: Yeah, uh, I will be happy to take this break. I wish it was starting on better terms, of course, but Mm. of course I will be trolling around on Twitter all summer. Uh, Listeners are welcome to reach out and uh, engage with my uh, high quality posts, Uh, you can always send us an email or I believe if you go back through our back catalog, you can find a link to our voice link and you can send us a voice message. There's many ways to engage. But of course, Mac, the best way to engage with Taproot is to what? uh, Buy a subscription? buy, Become a member. Read The
1: Pulse. Those would be two great places to start. The Pulse is our daily news briefing, gives you an overview of everything you need to know about Edmonton, every single weekday and if you like the work that we're doing you want to support us and uh, enable us to do more great work then certainly uh, in- encourage you to become a member
0: taproot can be in your inbox all summer we will not be in your podcast app for a little while longer until the fall i'm troy i'm mac and we're speaking municipally, municipally.